0: Good morning, early risers. It, this is so much fun in the spring, isn't it? Let's lose an hour. Great. Let's go to bed at 9.30 and lay there for an hour, trying to get that extra hour of sleep. Yeah, that, that's gonna work. Alright, we better pray. So, Father, indeed, thank you. Thank you for this. A wonderful morning here, and we're grateful for Applewood. We're grateful for your love for us and and your kindness, Father. You uh, you continue to teach us the words of your Son. You were you were so gracious to record them through your beautiful friends, your disciples, and so we uh, we look forward to listening in to the conversation that you have with the disciples on the night that you were betrayed. So that in a moment, Father, be with us. Open each mind and heart to the language of your sermon that resonates with each soul here. Father, like Pentecost, translate the words into the message of our heart. Father, we do pray this week. We pray for uh, the Elmonts. We think of Janine and the kids, Chloe and Jacob, We're praying for them we uh, we pray for Irwin and Scott for the Frank family for Jamie we we see that uh, this week it's our opportunity to pray for Shannon and Matt Gavin and for Avery Ethan and Audrey for Jeannie and Mike Gordon father for William Gordon and for Monica and Matt Father these are on our hearts now I pray that they would be on our hearts during the week that we would remember that our Probably best work that we do is the prayer that we have one for another. So we trust you for this morning. We trust you for our moment-by-moment life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So I hope you're having a meaningful Lenten season. We're still there, right? Uh, February 20th, 20th, 22nd? Somewhere right in there. Uh, was Ash Wednesday, 22nd maybe. And and that's when we kind of kicked off the Lenten season. For some of us that meant that we were going to perhaps give up something or put on something. Sometimes uh, the whole idea is that sort of a discipline of walking with Christ during this walk towards the cross. And so uh, hopefully that's going well for you and uh, it I think it's going well for me. I'm, I sh- shared with, uh, the Wednesday, mo- Wednesday evening crowd that night that I was giving up bread. Wow, is there a lot of bread out there? Hold the phone. You can get bread at the hardware store, I think. There's bread everywhere. And, uh, and it calls out to me. Dave, bread here, come get me. Save me from this cellophane wrapper. Eat me, and uh, so so far, uh, me and the spirit are resisting that. So it's been a good discipline for me. Well, I'll talk some more about that in a week or two. Uh, so uh, tomorrow, Susan and I enjoy our anniversary. It'll be our forty seventh. I married Susan when she was four. So that's me there in the middle. I'm not the guy in the end. I know you're thinking, what? And I, somehow they tricked me into that white tuxedo. Back, back in the 70s, we did things different just a smidgen. Um, the good news is I rented that tuxedo. I, st- I, I do not still have that tuxedo. I, w- I kind of wish I could because there's something in those lapels that I think I could actually fly. Um, so, yeah, the tie is probably it. Yeah, I tried to find a bigger tie. <laughs> it's the size of my head. <laughs> Man, <laughs> are you kidding me? I don't know. I, I thought, isn't it nice to have, uh, to not be the center of attention and have a beautiful bride to, uh, walk down the aisle with. Now here's, something funny. A couple years earlier, I looked like this. That is not, I don't think that's what got her. I, what I'm actually impressed with is that somehow this guy could get that girl to marry him. <laughs> How did that happen? And uh, uh, he actually is a very nice fellow there. Um, his hair got a little longer than that, but I did clean up before the wedding. so. Yeah, the 70s. Something to look back on. All right, that was just for fun. All right. So, have you had the opportunity to, well, I take us back. I know you've had the opportunity, but a couple weeks ago when we started this series, I said, hey, something you might want to do is read ahead. Go ahead and pull out your Bible and turn to John chapter, you know, 13, 14, and read uh, these four or five chapters in John To kind of prepare your minds and hearts for the series that we'd be doing as we lead our way up to the cross, up to Resurrection Sunday. And so I'm going to go ahead and re-extend that assignment, so to speak. Your homework assignment is to read through those chapters, uh, five chapters, uh, 14 through 17, 13 through 17, whatever, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, five chapters. I did it last night. It took me... A little less than 20 minutes. It's not a big deal. But if you've got a pen and pencil, no, if you just got one of those, if you've got a pen and a piece of paper. Here's your question that I want you to be answering. You ready? You're not, you're not playing. <laughs> All right. Maybe you can remember it. It's a pretty easy question. Uh, it starts with, huh? Huh? And then the rest of the question is for your homework assignment. What does that mean? That's it. So every once in a while, you'll read through Scripture and you'll see something and you just need to go, huh, what does that mean? What in the world is that about? So as you work through those chapters, maybe you'll read it here sometime between now and Easter, uh, just just kind of say to yourself, huh, I wonder what's that all about? And let that sort of linger on your hearts as you reflect on Scripture. You know what? That That one little question will transform your personal study. Rather than just reading something, to actually take note when there is something that's a bit of a mystery for you, something that has uh, a fresh look to you. Uh, Lee and I were just talking last week after the service where we discovered a verse in a passage that we'd read a hundred times. And somehow God slipped that passage in there for the first time last Sunday. And and that's how it is sometimes. You you kind of want to look at it fresh and be able to go, huh, I wonder what that's about. Because he may actually answer the question for you. And it may actually have a personal application. So, huh, I wonder what that means. I wonder what that means to me. So, read through that. It might be a, a good fun thing for you last week when we wrapped up. Uh, we talked about how Jesus said, "Do you understand what i 've done for you we were He was washing the disciples feet. Do you understand it's kind of like that question huh do you, do you do you know what I just said? Do you know what the personal application is for you and so I think it would have been possible for Jesus not only with with the cross in mind disciples of course were still 18 hours away from seeing Jesus on the cross. So that was a a complete left turn. They had no idea that was happening. Even though Jesus had said three times, quite specifically, this is what was going to happen. But they didn't see it. And I think it's possible that Jesus could have been saying, even implying, will you understand what I'm doing for you tomorrow? Tomorrow. Do you understand what I'm doing for you now? Well, wait a minute. Will you understand what I'm going to do for you tomorrow morning? This is big. Tomorrow morning's big. He's saying, pay attention. So let's go ahead and and, uh, dive into our study this morning. The Gospel of John, this quote, says, the Gospel of John makes explicit what all the Gospels assume. That is, the cross is not a defeat, but the victory of our God. And so last week when he was washing feet and being all humble, he was helping us to understand that to be humble is not a defeat. That's actually victory. It means that I've gotten over myself and I can now serve you well. It's actually a victory. There's also this that kind of goes along with my anniversary, I think. I feel like John's I feel about John's gospel like I feel about my wife. I love her very much, but I wouldn't claim to understand her. So the gospel of John is this wonderful mystery, especially as we move into the upper room. It's this wonderful story of victory. So let's go ahead and get after our passage, because there's actually four verses that I want to look at this morning and unpack, because I think Jesus means a great deal uh, about these. And and the title of our sermon this morning is So Much Truth, So Little Time. Uh, we are just going to skim a stone across the top of some very deep waters uh, this morning. So I'm going to invite you, let's all stand together. I think it's a habit of this church at times to stand and read the scriptures. and. Uh, out of respect and honor uh, for that. And I want to say that for some of us, trying to read out loud is hard. It's not easy for everyone, and so if that's not easy for you, you don't have to. Uh, But I love the idea of standing, listening, participating in the Word of God with a more active sense. So uh, let's go ahead. We're going to start at the very end of John chapter 13, the chapter we were in last week, and launch into this uh, Upper Room Discourse. So together we read a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love for one another. Let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I <clears throat> To go to a... And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come... Just a little bit earlier, we're going to skip a stone over the top of some deep waters. Uh, I'm from California Bay Area and then moved to salem oregon and oregon's a beautiful place there's a lake up there called crater lake uh, uh, and it's a spectacularly beautiful lake it's the uh, caldera it's the top end of a blown off volcano and there's some water in it now and and uh as a kid uh, my family took a vacation to crater lake and we got in a glass bottom boat and floated out on the lake and at one point in time, we went over a, um, a shipwreck, I guess, of some sort. Uh, ancient, uh, Spanish ship, I guess. I, nah, probably not. It's probably some motorboat of some sort. But, uh, something at the bottom of, of, uh, this big lake. And the guy said, uh, how, how far down do you think that is? And being a brave eight-year-old, I said, I don't know, looks like a hundred feet. And he said, right here at this part of the lake, that is almost 2,000 feet deep. And that's what I said. Whoa, really? Oh, it doesn't look that deep. So, that's kind of the deal. Sometimes these uh, scriptures that we read where I'm, I'm, I'm thinking sometime during that set of scriptures, you said to yourself, huh, I wonder what that means. That, that happened to me while I was reading it out loud a few times there what's that about? What does that mean? What does that mean to me? And uh, these are very deep waters uh, that we're about to skip a stone across. So uh, let's get started. I want to I want to skip it four times. I don't know if you've done that and you actually counted. I, I'm only going for four this morning. I don't need 11. So let's look at four passages uh, that were embedded in that long uh, set of verses that we read. The first one in John chapter 13, just before we got to uh, the, the John 14 passage, right at the end of 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Okay, let me just check. Had anybody heard that before, before this morning? Fairly familiar? Okay, all right, all right. So you've skipped a stone across the top of that before. Okay, in John chapter 14, verse 1, not much later, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. Yeah? So you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, assist. This, this this stuff's old. Okay. John fourteen six, just a little bit farther down. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anybody memorize this? Okay, yeah. yeah this is old stuff. Alright. And finally, one more, if you love me, John fourteen, fifteen. <clears throat> Uh, you will keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and uh, He will give you another counselor, another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth. So these are, these are old wells, right? We, we've drawn water from these wells before. These are very familiar and it's possible when things are very, very familiar to go, ah, oh, I know this. Maybe. M- maybe it's deeper than you think. Maybe you think it's a hundred feet and it's more like two thousand. And so maybe it's a good idea to take just a little bit of time and work through it. So let's do that kind of one by one. And that first one, if in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now remember, we're just off the heels of him washing feet here. Same chapter. And he's demonstrated what that love looks like. It's a sacrificial love. It's a humble love. I want you to love each other just as I have loved you. Now, that's just the final word picture that Jesus put on this idea of humility and self-sacrificing and loving others before you love yourself. And Paul would later say, consider others more important than yourself. And so Jesus is living this out by washing their feet and now he's telling them, a uh, new commandment, a new commandment to love one another. And actually, kind of what that does, when you say new commandment, you want to say, well, what's the old commandment? Well, the old commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, of course, there's another that's like it that says that you should love others like yourself. So he he's drawing from them. He, he's treating this last supper with his disciples as a profound, teachable moment, his last words matter. They are deep, deep in relevance and theology. We're not, we're not going to lose sight of that even if we don't delve as deeply as we might have liked to over time. So by way of commandment, what that means is this is not a good idea or an option or acute cute way of looking at things. No, this is a commandment. And it's a commandment for a reason. It's called a commandment for a reason because this is critical. It's critical to the understanding of who Jesus is and who we are and how we're to live our lives as kingdom citizens. This has a tremendous application for us in the moment. And it's possible... To get this kind of messed up in our brains. If you love me, keep my commandments. Because, because we need to ask the question, huh, what does this mean? What does it mean to love Jesus? And you could write that in the margin. You could read through this and go, huh, what does this, what does it mean to love Jesus? What does that mean? Because it's possible to do something wrong right here. If it's, if if you make the connection that love, that keeping the commandments is the same as love, you'd be wrong. Because love is the precedent to keeping the commandments. Love is the motivation. Love is the substance of what is inside of me that then draws from me a desire to keep his commandments. Keeping the commandments is not loving Jesus per se. It is the response to loving Jesus. Because you know what? There are people who keep commandments and really don't love Jesus. There, there are whole church traditions that are kind of all about religious ritual and dogma and you can go and participate in the dogma and come home at the end of the day and have no greater love for Jesus than you had seven years ago. So it can't just be about keeping the commandments. The Pharisees tried to do that, and Jesus didn't have the time of day for them. Right? So we need to be really, really careful about connecting this in a, in a false manner. In verse 15, If you love me, the result will be that you will keep my commandments. In verse 23, if anyone loves me, the result would be that they will keep my word, keep my commandments, keep my word, if you love me. And so now we need to come to understand who this guy Jesus is and why I, why would I love him? Let me give you a few reasons. His absolute beauty and truth and goodness. The three transcendents, those are manifest in Christ himself. Those are all humanity longs for, all wrapped in the person of Jesus Christ. Our love for him is a longing because he is infinitely desirable. It's admiring him because he's infinitely admirable. It's treasuring him because he's infinitely valuable. It's enjoying him because he's infinitely enjoyable. And you know what? I'm not sure that most Christians get that. They see him as king, but they don't understand that they can do a rope slide thing with him too. They can swing out over Crater Lake and fall into it and say to themselves, why in the world did I just do this? Because it's cold. And Jesus would say, it's okay, I'm coming next. Because he is thoroughly enjoyable. And if that's not your experience, you can dive deeper. Thoroughly enjoyable and ultimately we can be satisfied in him because he is infinitely satisfying. Loving Jesus, may have to say this twice, loving Jesus isn't a matter of doing excellent things a matter of delighting in an excellent Savior. Our things will never be that excellent, I promise you. But we have an excellent Savior that we can linger over and delight in. So, let's go ahead and get to our next one or we'll never get done with the skipping of our stones. The first one had to do with, of course, this new commandment, and obeying it by loving him well. The next one I want to take a look at is kind of the brass ring, the brass ring of of his story, uh, 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 because it speaks to a surpassing peace. It speaks to a peace in a time of darkness. I want to unpack that just for a moment, in case you put a little, huh, what does this mean as we were reading. I don't know if you know about brass rings, uh this is a picture of a gal reaching for a brass ring from about who knows, nineteen fifty-one? I don't know. Black and white. But in Santa Cruz, uh where I grew up, they had a carousel there. And you could reach out and they would have a, a ring dispenser would come down, a big brass rings, big rings about uh two inches around, maybe inch and a half, two inches, and you would uh if you were 13, you would grab as many as you possibly could as you went by, because you're selfish and 13. But the idea was that you could grab a ring, and if it was brass, then you could ride the carousel again for free. And so when you hear the idiom about grabbing the brass ring, what that means is that you are reaching out for something, reaching out for peace. You're reaching out for a second go at it. And if you happen to get the brass ring, uh, then, uh, you get a free ride. If you didn't get the brass ring, if you get a steel one, then there's a big clown face with a mouse there, mouth there, and you can throw your, uh, steel ring at the mouth of the clown, and because it does, that one doesn't matter, that's a throwaway. You're just looking for the brass ring. Well, you and I are looking for the brass ring. I, I, I have all the steel rings I need. I need a brass ring. I need the brass ring that will allow me to have another go at it. Another go at this moment in my life, because this moment in my life, perhaps, is hard. And so I need I need another chance. And so Jesus said in John chapter 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You know what's what's cool about this? What's happening right here? Jesus is, is 18 hours. Maybe not that far. I'd have to do the math. Whatever it is from about 10 o'clock at night to 9 o'clock in the morning. What is that? 12 hours? He's 12 hours away from being nailed to a cross. And he knows this. And he knows that the next 12 hours are horrific. Uh, there, there are parts of those 12 hours that I'll bet I know about that you don't know about that make it even more horrific than you know. Someday we'll look at that. But the, the thing that's on his mind isn't his own comfort. It's the comfort of the disciple. They've come into the room and they know it's a troubled room. There's a lot of soberness. There, there, there's a clear heaviness in Jesus' heart. Uh, he's talking as though it's the last time he'll ever see them. They don't understand. I'm going away. Where are you going? We don't know the way. Uh what's going on? So much confusion this night. This is not a fun last supper. It is filled with pathos, dripping with emotion. And Jesus' heart is on them because he knows in the next 12 to 18 hours their lives will be completely undone. Everything that they thought was going to happen in terms of the kingdom and their place in the kingdom is going to be blown to smithereens. And their master will be killed and they will become criminals. How did this happen? Jesus knows this and so he ministers to them ahead of time by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. I have this covered. I can give you a peace that passes understanding in the deepest of the deep, and so he's saying, count on me. And they're going to need that advice as they move on past the cross. He says, "Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust also in me." It's The brass ring of our faith is to know that he would never, never, never leave you nor forsake. Never. And then he would say this in John chapter 14, verse 6 I am the way and the truth and the life. He's responding, I think, to Philip's question, isn't he? Ah Lord, we don't know the way. I don't know where you're going, much less know the way. You're tricking me up here. And Jesus responds by this you know, well-memorized verse. And we've pulled it apart and put it back together and made it dogma and and all sorts of crazy things with this poor verse. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Of course, all of that is true. But what Jesus is saying right here is, I am the way. I'm the door. I, I am the gate to eternal life. On your, on your bulletin you see this sort of transparent Jesus and it's, it's as though He Himself is the opening to the love of God Almighty. And you get to walk right through Him into eternity because He's the way. So, so that opens up all kinds of possibilities for us knowing that he has taken care of us. Now, this too is dripping in deep. Uh, he, He is drawing from an ancient Jewish tradition where he is calling upon the name of God Almighty. I am. I am the way and the truth and the life. And those two little words, I am, are just filled with meaning for the Jewish culture. You remember that those, that's in fact the name of God, right? We read about it in Exodus chapter 3. Let's just refresh our memory real quick. Then Moses said to God, uh, if I come to the people, this Moses is trying to get out of the deal If he's going to lead the people out of Israel. Uh, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and, they, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask, What is his name? Because name's a big deal. Knowing a person's name, big deal. Throughout scripture, we'll talk about it. What's his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, and I'm kind of wondering what the tone of his voice is right here. Kind of feels like he's saying, really, you want to know my name? Because I don't think you know what you're asking. And, And God has mercy on him a little bit and says, I am who I am. And he said to them, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So the passage goes on, but the whole purpose of this uh, drawing from this story for Jesus is to establish his identity with the Father, is to establish his deity. And so John, as you read through the Gospel of John, next time you're doing that, you'll find we'll actually find uh, nine I am statements, but you'll find seven metaphors where Jesus is helping to paint the picture of his identity with Christ. Seven I am statements. Seven great miracles, seven I am statements in the book of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Are these familiar to you? I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the true vine. I am, I am, I am, I am. And, and so he is establishing his authority so that the disciples understand that what's about to happen is not dumb bad luck and, and a random expression of a fallen world. Might look like that. Might look like things are completely out of control. But this divine plan, the next 18 hours, has been set aside since before creation. Nothing is happening without Jesus Christ orchestrating it to our complete bewonderment and and mystery and sometimes deep sadness and disappointment when life doesn't give us what, what we long for. And Jesus says, I know. I'm enough. So, finally, the fourth truth. We've skipped a stone across the new commandment. We've skipped the stone across the peace of God. We the brass ring. We've now skipped the stone across the <laughs> one of the deepest theologies in the Old Testament about Jesus saying, "I am." And finally, this last one, which may be just as deep as any that I've ever tried to. Figure out the biggest mystery of all, perhaps, is is God in me. Really, God in me. How does that work? In John fourteen sixteen. Jesus says the Father will send another helper. I'm a helper. I'm going to send another helper, and this helper will be with you forever. I have to leave. I'm going to go and be with my Father, but the helper will come and stay with you forever. So when I say, I will never leave you and forsake you, that's because the Spirit of Christ is promised to you and lives within you as a believer. It's a mysterious idea, but Scripture talks about it over and over again. We read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and it's amazing, it's hard to grasp, but not not only is Jesus Christ alive today sitting on the throne, but he's alive today sitting on my throne. He is as an imminent and as eternal as he ever was in the first century. The life of Christ is our hope of eternal glory. Paul says it this way, To that God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. So, wow, what deep waters this morning. I've discovered that God is attending to me, to my peace, to his sovereign will. All in 10 or 12 verses, 17 verses. How could I have missed that? You know what? The world holds on us. I find, wants to draw our attention back to itself. And it can do that in any number of ways. It can do it through great success. And so if you're one of those pretty and talented people, it's really tough to disengage from the world because the world is going to give you all kinds of accolades. You're going to be all that. You're a pretty and talented person. So it's even tougher, I suppose, for those people to turn away for the rest of us, not so pretty and not so talented, it's it's the hard things of the world that tend to distract us from the throne. It's the disappointments, it's the hard left turns. David, the good shepherd, King David, he speaks to this, he writes about it when things are really, really hard. When he's being chased and he, his life is at risk and he feels like, uh, God has betrayed him. If not betrayed him, at least abandoned him. And he's in a spot. His soul is in a spot. And uh, he writes this in Psalm 42: My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan, out of Mount Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls out to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So he's using this euphemism of rushing waters, the sound, the feel, the overwhelmingness of rushing waters to describe his circumstance as deep calls out to deep. How that sounds to me is that David is in a very, very, very deep place, not a good deep place. And he calls out to deep, to deep heavens. As deep, calls out to deep, I need you now. Where are you? I am overwhelmed by the rushing of these waters. If you don't save me now, I'm going under. And he calls out, and... Perhaps some of you feel like that now or perhaps some of you have felt like that before. This kind of darkness is not of God. It's the result of the trials of a broken world and the lies that Satan whispers to you into your heart at night. And it's the God who rescues us and takes us to a safe place. This is David's safe place. This is en Gedi. This is the waterfalls that he was speaking of. It looks like a trickle now, but it was apparently quite a mighty waterfall back in its day. And um, this is very hard to find. I'm not. I didn't get a chance to go there. I could see it in the distance, but I didn't get a chance to go to en Gedi. But it is David's place of refuge. It's his his uh, safe place. And I want to say this morning that in the midst of waterfalls, in the midst of troubles and trials, that we each need a safe place. Our homes are supposed to be safe places, little places of heaven. They aren't always. Some of them perhaps, some of us uh, perhaps grew up in a place where our home was not safe. And I'm sorry for you, I'm sorry for that. That was not the way God intended. The other safe place that's supposed to be safe, the two places in all the world, your home, and your church. Those are the places where you gather, you come around each other, and you love each other well, sacrificially, purposefully, and you hold up the umbrella against the waterfall of the world, and you share that space with someone you love. That they might know the overwhelming love of deep as it reaches out to deep. We do it together. We don't do it at all. Let's pray. So, indeed, Father, these words reach deep into our hearts. These are deep waters. And Father, we have indeed just skipped a stone across the top. But Father, your words inspire us. They inspire us to know you better. They inspire us to be more generous in our giving and more dedicated in our prayers. Not because our obedience will somehow make you love us more. But because our love is so great, we can't help but hilariously obey. So we obey you this morning with our finances. We give to you generously and hopefully. We obey you this morning with our prayers as we seek your face for those we love. We obey you this morning with our worship as we seek to glorify you who must Receive the glory. And so, Father, bless us as we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.